there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in engineering or motorcycles or even both, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is an associate engineer at, get this, the Harley Davidson Motor Company. But before I introduce you to Kaylee Froci, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter where you can get a one-stop shop peek into the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. And it is super easy to do. You just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org. And the sign up box is right there. Now, my engineering-obsessed espresso lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Kaylee Froci, an associate engineer at the world-famous Harley-Davidson Motor Company. Kaylee only graduated in 2019, and Harley has been her first post-college job experience, of course, even though she started off working there while she was still an undergrad at Purdue. And I'm sure we're all going to be interested in learning how she managed to secure that amazing opportunity. And without further ado, Kaylee, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am caffeinated and ready to go. All right. So have you always liked motorcycles or is that not a prerequisite to work at Harley? Well, it definitely isn't a prerequisite. I was riding before I worked here, though. I didn't really, I always thought they were cool on the street or whatever. I didn't really think it was something I could do. But when I was 18, I just decided, you know what? There's a training class near me. Didn't tell my parents, didn't tell anybody. I'm just going to go do it. And so I did it. And, you know, a bike ended up in the driveway. And so this was after my first year of college. And so I applied for Harley, got the job and here I am. Oh my God. And I know when you were an undergrad at Purdue, you actually founded the Motorcycle Riders of Purdue University. Yeah, yeah. And that was something in my last year of school, just to give it more of a formal name and set it up for maybe some formal fundraiser opportunities, etc. It really was just a group of us that would ride together through my time there. And it was you know, nice to have that community because really the only interaction we had was waving to each other when we rode past. So this kind of gave it an outlet to come together and be able to maybe talk about different job opportunities and uh, storage solutions for the winter in Indiana and group rides, etc. Very nice. Well, I actually, I guess, want to learn. I'm hesitating because part of me wants to start by asking you how you got in the door at Harley in the first place because you were in school in Indiana. And Harley, for those who may not know it, is in Wisconsin and I'm not sure if I can even pronounce the city. Wauwatosa. Wauwatosa. Yeah. So why don't we, before we get into what you're doing now, maybe talk a little bit about how you got your foot in the door while you were still an undergrad. Yes. Yeah, so Harley actually comes to produce job fair. They code to job fairs around the country. They really try to make sure they have a presence on campus. And 
So, you know, I kind of hobbled up to them. I had actually just had a fall on my first motorcycle. And so I was limping around and I limped up to them. I said, I love bikes. See, I just don't mind. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I had an interview and then a offer for a co-op position. And what does that mean? On your resume, it says engineering co-op. Yeah, so co-op is basically a program where you take time off of school to work. So at Harley, what I would do is I work summer through fall, so May through December. Then I'd go to school for a semester, and then I'd come back for May through December. Then I go to school for a semester. And it really it lengthened my time. I took five years to go to school because I took the time off to just focus on work and really get involved. So I love co-ops and would recommend them to anybody. As much as it technically adds a year of school to your life, you know, you're working, you're making money, and you're gaining experience that you wouldn't even in a regular internship because you have a full seven months to work on a project instead of three months. So the amount of work you can do, the complexity of projects you do is very much increased. Wow. So I take it Purdue is one of the universities in the country that allows for this kind of co-op, part-time work, part-time student opportunities? Oh, actually, any university does. Harley has a pretty set up program. So I technically have a certificate above my diploma for my co-op experience. So maybe not all schools do that, although many, many, many of the big ones do. But there really is no problem. All you do is just not sign up for that semester, go work and come back. It's really a possibility for just about anybody. Okay, cool. I want to ask you a little bit more about that later in the interview when we start talking about your time at Purdue. Sure. So let's pivot to what you're doing now as an associate engineer. What does that mean, Kelly? And what do you do? So associate engineer here at Harley is just the title for a brand new engineer right out of school. That's the first level. And then it goes up to just regular engineer, then senior and et cetera. So I'm an associate engineer in the systems role. So I am a structural analyst here. So I do finite element analysis on chassis components, basically virtually recreating the tests that we do on components and reporting findings, which makes iterations cheaper, right? When I'm just on the computer rerunning these tests. Got it. So what does that mean you're doing all day, that you're kind of plugging numbers into the computer and checking, kind of double checking and triple checking? Yep, that's the simplified, that'd be on a smooth day. Yeah, it's a lot of computer work, a lot, a lot of computer work. And then a lot of meetings and impromptu meeting with people and saying, checking things, etc. But yeah, it's, it's very much computer based trying to run models. But then also a big part of this job, of course, is troubleshooting because it isn't so straightforward and you're always finding a solution to a brand new problem. You know, a lot of the time spent is, oh man, that didn't work. Okay, let's try something else. And when you say that you're performing finite element analysis tasks on chassis components, can you explain to those who may not understand that much about a motorcycle what part of the motorcycle that is and what it includes? Oh, sure. So that's anything that connects to a frame. So that is the frame that could be foot supports, that could be wheels, handlebars. So it's kind of anything plastic or metal that you see attached to the motorcycle that isn't the engine. 
is what the group that I'm in performs analysis on. And again, this is way out of my wheelhouse. Sure. <laughs> my comfort zone. So I'm going to be asking some super basic questions. But knowing how long Harley has been around, why would those kinds of components, which I have to imagine are standard features in all motorcycles, why do you have to keep running different tests on them? Haven't they already been kind of figured out over the years? Yes and no. So over the years, as you keep doing this, you realize trends in design. So, oh, if it looks like this, it will perform like this. But obviously, every motorcycle that gets released is brand new oftentimes with brand new components. And it's very important to make sure, A, the components won't fail and endanger people, and B, make them lighter and stronger. So even though something might have worked, it's not really a case of it's not broken, don't fix it, right? It's, it's, okay, let's make it better. Let's make it lighter. Let's make it cheaper, but also maintaining its strength and its use. Okay, that is really helpful. And again, that just completely blew up and highlighted, I guess, my ignorance because I didn't realize that Harley did testing on each and every motorcycle before it leaves where they're building them. You could call it the assembly line. But so we don't actually do testing on every one of those. We just do testing on the brand new designs for new prototypes. So let's say we're building a new motorcycle and it's going to get assembled or manufactured at some point before we spend a lot of money making those tools that create those parts we want to test prototype parts to make sure they're going to meet requirements if that makes sense yes so this is like testing on a lot of iterations of the same part for a new motorcycle and then after it's we say oh it's tested it's good then we make thousands of it for the bike that gets on the line okay so you are quite literally testing prototypes before any money has been put into developing those parts? Into manufacturing them, yes. Everything that we do here, everything I've done so far is on future motorcycle and prototypes. So can you give us any kind of window into what may be coming down the pike, so to speak? No. (laughs) No. no, no, Yeah. No, I feel a little bit like big brother here now. (laughs) Yeah. But I would encourage everybody to go and look up. We actually just released some specs on a couple of new, very exciting motorcycles that are outside of our standard types. It's an adventure bike and a street rider bike. They're coming in next year in 2020. So I would encourage everybody to look up, I don't know, new Harley motorcycle on Google or something. (laughs) Very nice. Now, I also see, and this is part and parcel of your responsibilities as an associate engineer, that analysis tasks included linear and (coughs) nonlinear static analysis, topology optimization, shape optimization, and fatigue analysis. What the heck does that mean? Okay, so that is going to take a lot of time, but I guess the basics of it is that what I'm talking about is I am doing analysis with different complexities of material properties, doing optimization, which means running it through an analysis that will tell you maybe where more material should be, where material can get taken out, and then also doing analysis that tells you how long it's going to last under certain load conditions. Got it. Yeah, so those are just kind of tasks that all under the analysis umbrella that ensure that a part is going to be strong, light, and last a long time. 
on your resume, it also says that you provide pre and post processing support for multi-body dynamic simulations. Can you explain what that means? That would be an even longer one. But so what I meant by that and have that in there for is that part of my career interest is in the multi-body dynamic simulation space. So this is more of like full vehicle simulation under different conditions. The simulations are very, very complex. So instead of just a component, right, it's a lot of components under, you know, kind of real life loading conditions that are all connected together in a very complex manner, I guess, right? Because real life, there's so many factors modeling something correctly. And so kind of what I'm doing right now is trying to get my foot in the door in that area by helping get models set up for that kind of analysis and also helping look at results and kind of sifting through numbers. I'm going to call it that. So it has overlap, but it is separate from FEA that I just like to learn more about throughout my career here. Did you just say FEA? Is that the finite element analysis? That is, yes. Okay. If I didn't have your CV in front of me, I would have had no (laughs) idea what that meant. So most of the time, Are you sitting in front of the computer? Give us a sense of a typical day on the job. What would we be seeing and hearing you do? Yeah, you'd probably see me with my head in my hands in front of my computer, (laughs) trying to figure out why something won't work. Yeah, so it's very much computer-based. I spend probably, on average, like six hours a day on the computer, at least. That would be in like a typical eight-hour day. And then, you know, there's some meetings sprinkled in. After I do an analysis or something, I would report findings. So I would have a meeting with the person who had me do it. But other than that, it's very much independent computer work. Nice. And so is this the kind of thing where you can have like your earbuds in listening to music or whatever you enjoy listening to while you're on the computer? Sure. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you one final question about the perks of working at Harley. Are there any? Do you get to ride any Harleys? (laughs) We do have like an employee checkout program. I haven't used it at all yet, personally, because mostly I just got here. (laughs) But yeah, I think the main perk at Harley is that it's a casual work environment and everybody who works here is pretty great. (laughs) Awesome. I was thinking maybe I could have you finish this sentence. This is the job for you if... You don't mind being wrong. Okay, elaborate on that. So I think this field, especially as somebody with only a bachelor's degree, is there's so many complexities that a lot of the time you will make mistakes. Obviously, everybody strives to fix them and it's not something you can really avoid, but you have to be able to just say, you know what, maybe that wasn't the right way to do it. Or maybe I should listen to how this person does it or there can't be too much no, 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 this is right. I'm right. So you kind of have to trust the numbers. Right. And you kind of have to actually really not, and I'm going to say this lightly, because you do need confidence and you need to rely on your foundations, but you need to always look at things skeptically that you've done. So you need to do something, maybe run an analysis and look at it like, is this right? You know, run some simple calculations. Does this make sense? Did I do this right? You know, am I missing anything? just because it really isn't something that everybody's going to get right all the time or everybody's going to get perfect and there's no way you can improve it, if that makes sense. 
It does. Yes. Okay. Here's another sentence for you. This is not the job for you if if you give up easily. Just going back to that. Sometimes it takes a lot of sitting there and thinking. And then you think and you think and you try something new and then that doesn't work. And okay, let's sit and think again. So just making sure you can be patient and all of that, if that makes, if that also makes any sense. (laughs) It does. And I'm also thinking, tell me if this makes sense to you, that it isn't the job for you if you don't really love numbers. Yeah, you know, it is a highly technical job. And in the engineering sphere, let's say you're in an engineering program and you just hate statics and dynamics and calculus. You're just like, you know what, I just want to design some parts in my career. This is not well for you. So what are the mathematical formulas and types of mathematical skills that you absolutely have to rock in order to do this job well? I'm just going to give some basic topics mm-hmm. more like. So I would say knowing your statics and dynamics. So calculating forces and moments, and then also mechanics of materials. So understanding material properties and how everything is affected when you change certain parameters is mm-hmm. super important in this job. That's mainly what it comes to in the hand calculations that might need to get done. I mentioned or I picked up on your mention of calculus because I kid you not, Kaylee, I was just talking to somebody the other day because we were talking about how in Maryland, at least, and it may well be nationwide, high school students have to take at least four years of math. And I said, okay, like I get geometry, but like who's going to use calculus after they graduate? It's, you know, but hello, right? That's engineers. engineers. Engineers will use calculus. It doesn't really matter what type of engineering you go into. You will not escape derivatives for your entire life. So yeah, I would definitely say that sometimes that the attitude of you're not going to need that much math. It's better to have it because I think calculus too and, and going through that problem solving that it takes and it's a different kind of problem solving than maybe geometry or algebra is really healthy for a lot of disciplines because, you know, calculus comes up in statistical methods. It comes up kind of in every STEM field at some point. You might not need as in-depth understanding of it, but it's very useful. I wonder if this isn't a good time for us to discuss the fact, Kaylee, that when you were in high school, math was not a strength, right? Awful. Oh my God. I think I I almost failed algebra one. Yeah, it was bad. I didn't come from a family that had anybody in math. And so I kind of just didn't really get the help, I guess, until you know, I kind of committed to more of a STEM career field. And I just always assumed, you know what, I'm just going to go into a field that doesn't need math. Fine. But there was a specific teacher in my life who just was like, you know what, you can do math. You just need to think about it differently. And he worked so hard on giving me different kinds of questions and prompts. He even made different like tests for me, the same difficulty, but differently worded and in a different environment. And he showed me I could do it. And from there, and I'd actually like to share this story for you. This is just how important learning differences and learning styles are. So through college, I went to Purdue, we had math lectures, I kid you not, 400 students. And it was taught by somebody who oftentimes, like you couldn't understand. And it just, oh man, I got 
absolutely wrecked my first year of college math. Learning in that environment, impossible. I failed Calc 1 and 2 before I passed them. Straight up F. And the way I got around math at Purdue was instead of taking it through them, I decided, you know what, there's online options that transfer in through equally as accredited universities. So like North Dakota University, BYU, they all have online upper level math courses. And I took Calc 2, Calc 3, linear algebra, differential equations, all online by myself without a lecture, just learning off of a book. And I aced all of them because I learned it at my own style, at my own speed. Wow. So I guess just what I'm saying is that I wasn't even sure that I could do math even in the beginning of college. I didn't know if I could get through because engineering math is no joke. I wasn't 100% sure I could do it, but it really just, you got to figure out how you learn and just give it all you got when you figure it out, if that makes sense. So the way I learned is I just did a practice question after practice question from a book and I had like a solution manual and I just learned how to do it on my own. Some people learn from lectures, right? And getting shown how to do it, but just making sure you know, and you've tried all these options before you call it quits is really important. You mentioned learning differences. Some people call them learning disabilities. I also prefer to call them learning differences. (laughs) What are the ones that you have, Kaylee, and how did you discover that you have them? So I have something called auditory processing deficit, and then I also have ADHD. Auditory processing deficit is something where words come in and they just don't get processed very quickly. I've gotten good at conversations and catching up quickly. And, and I almost do this thing where I anticipate what people are saying. I'm almost on the opposite spectrum of I talk too quickly after people start to talk. It really makes it so, let's say in a lecture, I'm just getting told things. My brain is not catching up to what everything that they're saying, like brand new information at a speed that is useful. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there. I'm at the first 20 minutes while lecture's over, you know? And so learning in a verbal environment is just something I can't do. And then with ADHD, Learning in an environment where it's sit in this chair and look straight ahead is also something I I just can't do. You know, and I've known I've had learning differences for a long time. The way we figured it out was that in third grade, second grade, my teacher said, oh, it's kind of funny. I'd tell Kaylee to do something and she wouldn't do it. And I'd come over and I'd ask her why she didn't do it. And she said, well, I don't know what you mean by this. And what would happen is literally consonants and words would get mixed up. And so I think they'd say, you know, draw a dog on a log or something instead of a frog on a, like I get things mixed up verbally. And as a child, especially learning, that was incredibly difficult kind of in those foundational years. After I knew I had it, I kind of knew to compensate for it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I am super interested at why knowing that math was something that you struggled with, that you wanted to pursue it? Was it because you wanted to be an engineer or you thought you wanted to be an engineer and you knew that that was the way to get there? Or I just usually think people gravitate towards their strengths. And I think it's really cool that you went to the area where you felt the most vulnerable and dug in. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I had thought I wanted to be an artist just because I didn't even meet an engineer before meeting my high school robotics mentor. I really had no access to them. And so, but then I realized I really fell in love with aviation and planes. I was like, oh, you know what? 
designing planes would be cool. Then I thought, oh, who designs a plane? Oh, an aerospace engineer. What's that? And that kind of sparked the, okay, what is engineering? What do they do? How do you become one? And so that kind of is what started it. Then I joined a robotics team. And robotics for high schoolers is, I think, a great way to get these foundational concepts and really learn what an engineer does in terms of problem solving and just basic design tasks. And so that really kind of solidified, you know what, I would make a half bad engineer, but now I need to catch up on the academics of engineering just because it didn't come naturally to me. And just because it doesn't come naturally doesn't mean you can't do it or can't get good at it. So those years were hard. I really had to dug in and I, again, I flat out failed a lot, but that doesn't always mean that it's over. Oh my God, no way. I am 100% in agreement with you, Kaylee. In fact, I believe in my core that it often is only when we fail that we are able to find kind of our higher purpose. And if you keep trying as you did, you found another pathway to learn. You realized, oh, okay, I've got auditory processing deficit. The big lectures are clearly not for me. I'm going to go to the online route. And I mean, that just kudos to you on so many levels that you have the guts and the grit to focus and find the right pathway forward for yourself. It's interesting looking back because I don't truly know why, you know, I I tried so hard for this. I'm glad I did. Obviously, I really do love what I do and kind of where my career is taking me. But yeah, it's just really important to make sure that you kind of explore all of your options before you go to plan B, if that's what you want, right? I had a plan B. I had a plan B for sure. You know, I would have gone to like a slightly less technical, but still engineering. I probably like an engineering technology role, which basically is an engineer with a lot less calculus. (laughs) But you know, I didn't really have to get there. I came close enough that I was talking to an advisor in that program. I had everything set up to where if I need to jump ship, I can, but let's try not to. (laughs) So before we flash back a little bit more to what you were doing as an undergrad at Purdue, could you share with our young listeners what the best part is for you of being in this profession? The best part is that the people are really great, I think. And obviously, that's very dependent on where you go, what you do. But generally speaking, engineers are non judgmental. They're every type of person you can imagine. They are very like minded, you know? So I, I really do enjoy kind of the people that I'm around and how comfortable they make me feel. And then also, you know, there's a lot of creativity in any different engineering profession that is available. You get to design and really use your critical thinking skills. And I think that's pretty underrated. There are plenty of jobs where you do use them, but engineering is one where you come in and you can just start thinking and and keep thinking, you know, it's not just click a button, click a button, call somebody, click a button. It makes sense hearing you describe it, but I would not have thought until I heard you say it, engineering is a field where there would be a lot of creativity. Again, it makes sense now that you've explained it. And I'm so glad that you raised that because I guess, you know, if you're in the design world, you need to be able to think outside the box. Right. And obviously, it's very, very, very different place to place, the size and scale, you know, maybe you're more of an operations, maybe you're more design. But engineering in general has a 
lot of possibilities for incredible design opportunities. There are some people who, as an engineer, basically get full leash on whatever they're designing, you know, and that's pretty incredible to me. Yeah. So before we go back to Purdue, what is the part of your current job as an associate engineer, Kaylee, that sucks the most? I would say the fact that I will probably go blind and have a hunchback by age 30. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it really is just the amount of time that I spend on a screen. Like, I don't mind it and I love what's going on on the screen. But, you know, you start to feel it. We as humans are not meant to be staring this intently at a screen for this long. Yeah. Okay, well, hopefully you've got those protective coating on your glasses Mm -hmm. or something that you use so that your eyes aren't getting more damage. Maybe you can wait until 40. I can only hope. So as we've mentioned a couple of times, you went to Purdue and you majored in multidisciplinary engineering. What does that mean, Kelly? And I also usually ask my guests if they knew what they were going to do with their degree when they graduated, but I think we all know the answer to that question. (laughs) Yeah, having the co-op made it so I knew exactly what I was doing, which took the stress off. I had zero stress my last year of college. I had a job lined up. I just got through the classes. So I cannot, again, mention just how awesome co-ops are. So multidisciplinary engineering is... There aren't a ton of programs out there for it. Purdue has one that's growing very rapidly, as it should. It's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. It's ABET accredited, just like any other engineering degree. But it's kind of, you go in and you have to take a certain amount of core classes. So you have to take statics and dynamics and a fluids class. But you can take these classes from the mechanical department or the aerospace department or the materials department or the agricultural department. So it's very much like you can mix and match the disciplines and conglomerate it into one degree It's very interesting. There are restrictions and there are certain requirements, but overall, just have fun with it. It sounds like you did. Maybe this is the time to ask you this question, Kaylee. I suppose I could have asked it while we were in your job portion of the interview. But what has it been like being a young woman in a field, and I'm guessing it was the same in your undergrad work, where there are very few women. Well, it's actually interesting because if you go to a college campus for engineering, you'll see, at least Purdue, I cannot speak for any other university, but there were a lot of women. There were some times where I was in all female project teams on engineering class design teams. Really? Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think my freshman class, they threw out a statistic at some point, it was five, six years ago, but like they threw it out where there were 60% women at some point. Yeah. But in the field, I would say there are less. I also kind of saw a trend of like, once I got more into the mechanical engineering classes and sphere, there were a lot less women. So that could also change it a little bit. But, you know, I'm very fortunate to have worked at companies that don't make you feel different. You know, like here at Harley Davidson, we do have a lot of women engineers and I have never felt discriminated against or looked at or anything or uncomfortable. Yeah, most importantly. But at the same time, it is something where just kind of going through life and maybe meeting other engineers, maybe exploring other opportunities where there's just a little comments that people make where it's like, oh, oh, that mindset's still there, you know, like for a girl or just blatant surprise is always what 
kills me the most. That's the most passive of them. You know, if I'm a motorcycle engineer, right? There's this like, oh, are you sure? You know? And that's kind of, I think, still the problem that's out there. It must be very annoying. And yeah. it feels kind of condescending. Right. And so, you know, the, those people are out there. And those are other engineers who are at companies where women work and they have to deal with them. So I personally don't have to deal with them. But I know for a fact that the industry still isn't 50-50 on respect to especially younger women. Thanks for sharing that. I know that while you were at Purdue, you were involved in various extracurricular activities. We already talked about the Motorcycle Riders Club, basically, that you started. And you had other internships. But I'm curious, what of those activities, whether it's the clubs or part-time jobs or volunteer work or internships, do you think really helped you hone skills that in hindsight, you can see a value now today in your professional life? I would definitely say any team project-based club activity, etc. was incredibly important to not only my personal development, but also to recruiters. So my GPA didn't matter to anybody. I actually, so my GPA was okay. It was pretty good. <laughs> but 3.0. Yeah, it was pretty good, especially at Purdue. But I never put it on there before my final year of school. And recruiters never asked because you you have a certain amount of project team experience to talk about or even other internships to talk about. There is no time left in an interview to talk about your GPA. And so I think my time on formula, my even going back to high school robotics, if we want to go way back when, you know, it really gives you something to talk about. It gives you real life experiences with people. So when did you have a conflict with a person? When did you take something and run with it? You know, just being able to answer those questions and build time with talking about these kinds of things is incredibly, incredibly important. I think those real life experiences are super useful and relevant for sure. So Keely, what insights can you share with our young listeners, especially those who may be graduating in May of 2020, as to how they can integrate their interests the way that you have and their passions maybe into their professional lives? I think that it's really important to try to explore what you think you want first, right? Because what you think you want might not be what you actually want. But at least exploring it and kind of thinking critically on, well, what would make me interested there or doing this and kind of following that, right? Because the most important thing is not what sounds cool or anything. It's more, what can I dive deep in and not get bored of? For sure. So two final questions for you, Kaylee. Mm -hmm. Could you share a time in your professional life? And let's even go back to during the co-op days when you were working at Harley, when you really struggled. Maybe you failed at something where you felt like you really dropped the ball on a project or felt you were in over your head, maybe even experienced imposter syndrome. How did you persevere? And I don't know, if there was a lesson that you may have learned in the process. Yeah. So I think something that I ran into as a co-op and as an intern in general is I would get stuck on something and I wouldn't ask for help just because, oh, well, I could figure it out if I just 
did a little bit more. Maybe I tried this or this. And I don't really have any experiences to bring up where I really let somebody down. But it's more of I could have gone a lot further if I had just asked for help, you know, and said, hey, can I get a second set of eyes? Can somebody teach me this? It's a very normal fit in engineering, especially with people who haven't even graduated yet, right? And there should be no shame or self-doubt for doing that. Great. Yeah. I mean, personally, I can tell you that at various points during my career, especially in the early years, I was embarrassed (laughs) to say I didn't know how to do something. And I also felt that I almost had to pretend like I did know or they would think I wasn't up for the job. I wasn't up to doing it. If I were to say and admit, hey, I'm not really sure how to do this. So I think that is Fantastic advice, Kaylee. Final T4C question. If you could go back to Purdue and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Probably not to be so hard on myself. And it's hard in college, especially, to compare yourself. You know, it's a competition. It's a competition for jobs. It's a competition at Purdue. In the case of Purdue, coming out of your first year, you compete against each other, against GPA to GPA to get into the specific major you want to go into. I have some gripes with Purdue, but you know, it's important to just kind of focus on yourself and figure out what works for you for your self-development. So if getting that 3.5 GPA is not something that fulfills you and makes you a better whatever field you're trying to get into person, then focus on doing projects, focus on furthering your knowledge elsewhere in the relevant space. Yeah, I would have definitely taken on more personal projects. I would have focused more on the group projects I did. You know, I think I got very fortunate that I found a job I love, but I would say that if I didn't find that, I would have wished that I did. I can't recommend it enough to go and get work experience because it's honestly a lot of fun because there's not a lot of pressure as an undergrad intern. And, you know, it's kind of beneficial on all fronts. But yeah, I, I would have just kind of let myself breathe a little bit more. Oh, great. Well, Kaylee, thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. You are such a cool, remarkable young woman. And I love that you are marching to your own drama. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.